Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Cheryl Perry with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today we've got in the studio Mary York Oates, Director of Admissions at Charlotte Latin School and our Smarty Guru on Education. She's with us on a lot of podcasts and we appreciate it. And with her we have David Oates, who works at University Psychological Associates here in Charlotte. Uh, if you haven't already listened to the podcast that was posted before this one on anxiety and parents and kids, we highly recommend you tuning into that one either before this or after it. We have David and Mary York on that one as well, and they've got some great information on it. Let me give you just a little bit of background about David. He has been um, with University Psychological Associates for almost 20 years and specializes in the evaluation of ADHD in adolescents and adults, learning disorders, and pre-bariatric surgery candidates. He received his BA in biology from Northwestern University, his master's in education and secondary school counseling from UNCC. He received his PhD in counseling psychology from Auburn University. So he's definitely well-versed on all thing, all these subjects. So we appreciate him being here again. Um, so last time we touched on anxiety and parents and kids, and we kind of want to just dive a little bit deeper into that topic because it's a huge topic and we can go a lot of different ways with it. Um, but first I want to ask you, Mary York, since you're in the classroom a lot, what are some of the things you see in the classroom um, with anxiety playing out in the classroom? I think when you see a child um, sort of begin to slide away from the task at hand. For example, um, maybe they overfocus on a project um, and don't transition very well. For example, maybe they're doing an art project on butterflies and they're doing a class mural. And the goal is really for everyone just to complete a butterfly. But this one child becomes pretty fixated on um, her butterfly or his butterfly and um, can't really let it go. So much so that the that the project um, won't be finished. And then with the gentle nudge of the teacher to say, you know, maybe spotting a little perfectionism, which is, is really not a good trait um, because it, it David can speak to that more specifically, but that's really a, fe- a fear-based um, trait. But if, if maybe the child then melts down um, and then maybe that turns into what we used to call a temper tantrum. One thing if that child is five, another thing if that child is 13. Right. Um, so, you know, and that seems kind of funny, but the truth of the matter is some things are more appropriate at certain ages than others. But you'll sort of begin to see that there's a rigidity sometimes with a child that can't really roll with it, which is so important in school. Mm-hmm. Now, every day we have kindergartners that can't roll with it. And right. that is so normal and not worth a phone call home. Right. But when you start to see um, this inability to to finish the work, to stay up to speed, um, and it 
kind of has a snowball effect. Now, do you think teachers would be the first to communicate with parents? Do you find that most often? Or is it something that parents need to bring up with the teachers? Um, a teacher will see it. A parent doesn't have to bring it up. I mean, if a child really has something that is um, exaggerated, the teacher's going to play it out. But I um, pick it up, pick up on it. But the parent, anytime you do have, I, I would really, really encourage any parent, anytime you do have a concern um, with something that you want to share with the teacher, I, I think it's much better to be transparent. Although sometimes um, the parent will perceive something to be a problem and it's really not manifesting in the classroom um, at all. And so I would trust the teacher um, to keep the finger on the pulse with that. Yeah. So I don't know, David, if you can go into like dive into what Mary York just said a little bit deeper. How do you if you're the parent and you're seeing at home that something is happening, they're anxious over their homework or they, they're stressed out about math, but the teacher's saying something completely different. As a parent, how do you move forward in in knowing, talking to your kids about how to work it out at home versus school? Like, what are some talking points you can give to, to parents to give to their kids? Yeah, it's a challenge to uh, hear it from the child's perspective. Mm -hmm. And if they're if you think they're exaggerating how bad things are compared to what a teacher would say, then they need to learn how to soothe themselves and um, be more hopeful. And um, What do you, you say to that child, though? Like, what would you... Well, you first try to hear what they're telling you, mm -hmm. and you try to go into some depth with that, certainly. Um, but you mentioned so many things about pacing would be something which I say, um, if you're overdoing things and you never finish and you are trending toward uh, perfectionism, then there is a toll. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want to teach kids the healthy aspirations towards excellence and prepare for a limited amount of time to do well on a test and feel good about it. You're not going to feel great when you go into the test. No one ever does, but you can get through it and hopefully you'll do pretty well, but you can't ever guarantee a grade. Mm -hmm. You can just guarantee effort and try to learn as, you're, as you get older and older about how to prepare. Do what you can. How, how, what about when you have a child, let's say they end up in your office because the teacher has said, um, you, you need to get some help. Um, and they end up in your office, what are some things that you would do to help them with sort of di differentiate between symptoms and diagnosis? I mean, wh what's the difference between the two? What are some coping skills for a kid with just symptoms, for example? Yeah, that's right. Well, many kids that arrive uh, have symptoms enough to get a diagnosis because I'm not allowed to treat them unless I have a diagnosis. However, in the world at large, most people don't have anxiety disorders. They may have symptoms. So all What of are us, the symptoms of yeah. anxiety disorder? Well, it could be like excessive worry. And with that worry could be a stomach ache. And it could immediately disappear after the math test. That's kind of good news. You know, if it persists throughout the day in every single subject that you're in, that's pretty upsetting as a parent because then you think, wow, this child isn't comfortable in any subject in any classroom. Yeah. Far different, right? Right. So uh, there's a wide variety of things, but you try to teach a child things like coping with how you feel, 
trying to get your mind to cooperate and think clearly despite how you feel in the moment and then going through the steps of um, performing when you have to. Do you have any tips for, it's a little bit, I think, easier is not the right word because it's never easy to talk to your kids if you don't have a psychology degree, if you don't always know what you're <laughs> it, talking it's about. It's not always easy yeah. if you have a psychology Even degree. Even if you have one. But right. it might be just a little bit easier with an older child who would cognitively, cognitively understand what you're saying. But if you're, if you've got like an aged maybe seven to 10 year old who's super anxious about homework, getting this math sheet done, but they want to go play outside, but they have to get this math sheet done and they don't understand it. What would you say to him or her, like a younger child? How would you explain like your mind and thinking through things? How would you do that for a younger kid? Well, you're asking someone who starts with 12-year-olds <laughs> for true. a good reason. Yeah. Fair but enough. I, fair but enough. I, but I do work with little kids. Yes. Yeah, so what, so what about you, Barry The one thing thing that I would say about that is, you know, with children that are that are avoiding behaviors, Mm -hmm. that can be a real symptom. Um, Avoiding work, avoiding play dates, avoiding um, reading. I I hate to read, things like that. Those are some things to pay attention to because it usually means this is too hard for me. But I think what you need to kind of figure out is, and at almost every school, beginning school teachers are so dialed into this, if they don't want to read, you can simply ask the question, you know, to the teacher, he doesn't want to read at home. What are the tips? What should I do? Because the people that work with little children all the day could say, he really doesn't need to. and Don't do it at night when he's tired. He's had a long day. You picked him up at 6. Maybe you should get him to read on the way into school when he's fresh after he's had a good breakfast. I mean, I think you want to sort of stay in the here and now. Yeah. And sometimes I think you just want to punt. They're little people. Right. They might need to just run outside and play. Yeah. Um, the timer is one of our number one friends in um, elementary school mm-hmm. where you say, you know what, I want you to spend 10 minutes on this worksheet. That's what the math assignment was supposed to take, 10 minutes. I want you to do your best, 10 minutes. When that bell goes off, you're free to go. If that might be enough to motor the little boy or little girl through the work or 10 minutes, he could only get through one or two. You put a sticky note on the teach on the on the homework, send it back in and say, We're out. We're out. <laughs> we might need to talk about this. Yeah. Because you are a part of the solution and you you're giving important, important data to the teacher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that and I also think David would probably say this. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would use fewer words with younger children. Right. I, it's behavior modification when they're little. They they don't they're not gonna stay with you for a long explanation of well you must feel tired you had a long day and you really don't like carrying yeah. numbers or whatever. I mean absolutely. The like, other day I, I remember I, teaching my kids just how to clean up after they played. Yeah. And initially with a two year old you actually take their hand and pick the toy <laughs> up and put it in mm-hmm. the toy basket. Right. And as they get older it becomes kind of okay. Time for dinner. What about with older kids, though? What are you know? What would you say to an older kid that's yeah, maybe a high school student who's super anxious, like what? nervous for school yeah, to start, right? Brand right. new high school. What are some tips? Well, some first of all, tools? I would talk about self-soothing. How do you calm yourself? And there could be a number of things. Sometimes it's the way you think about things. Sometimes it's distracting yourself with something pleasant. 
sometimes it's actually doing deep breathing, something that works for about any concern. Mm-hmm. I had my 10-year-old try to deep breathe last week when he was <laughs> freaking out over a math sheet. <laughs> Go over well. His deep breathing was quick and shallow. But yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I, I have to teach people how to deep breathe. Yeah. But I love the fact that they now say things to guys like, you know, the Navy SEALs use this before they go into a life-threatening mission. And mm-hmm. I think, well, that ought to motivate you to consider right. using If it's good it. for the Navy SEALs, it should be good for the mass Right, sheet. right. Exactly. Yeah. Our daughter, who is in New York, so I think it's safe to talk about it. I don't think she's <laughs> listening to this. But when she was young, she had the biggest flameouts. And one thing that David and I did. We did a lot of things really wrong. But oh, that makes me feel so oh, good. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I was a linguist. David's a psychologist. And our son was diagnosed with dyslexia in the sixth grade. Oh, we missed gosh. a lot of cues. So wow. just feel empowered that we're all on this journey together. But one thing I do remember thinking, David said this. Two things that I'll give you complete credit for. Don't engage in the temper tantrum. So with Which is hard to do when you're hard, exhausted and it's exactly. 4 p.m. and you have to get dinner and activities. It's hard. But because hers you was— gotta, oh, You have to deep breathe. Exactly. <laughs> and hers was reoccurring. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be a part of the temper tantrum. And right. so the, the rule was you can go to your room and do whatever you want to do. And when you're ready to come back, you can come back, find a safe place, you know, for the flail, the flailing behavior. Yeah. And the other thing that David always said, which was really helpful because it was not my nature, I'm a, I'm a bit of a control freak, was um, make sure when you're setting limits, there's a stick and a carrot involved. In other words, you know, it's it's... And I would also say to the parents, let's move away from the game playing. That's what our teachers ask. Don't negotiate that they need to put their book bag up or they need to unload the dishwasher. If that is something important to you, then make it an expectation. And then when there is something that you're trying to change your behavior on, stick, there could be a consequence, is the stick, or carrot, there could be a reward. Not overly complicated, mm-hmm. um, but just to begin to put some framework around it being a little less emotional anytime you can. Yeah. And what what becomes really challenging with parents, in my opinion, for changing behaviors is there's a natural tendency for most parents, and I, I would say it would apply to me too, is that once they've done something that really upsets you, you want to stop the bad behavior. So you think about punitive consequences. Mm -hmm. And you overlook the fact that they need to do the preferred behavior. So I always say let's overfocus on the preferred behavior, even though it may rankle you that you're going to have to um, reinforce it, you know, Mm -hmm. reward a good behavior. Because the kid's done something bad, and you're like, he's telling me to reward this. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to show you that a child oftentimes doesn't learn well if they're not rewarded. Yeah. And since I deal with a lot of ADHD kids, they need rewards more frequently than an average kid. I think, don't we all need more rewards in life? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but you've got to earn the rewards. That's true. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be, they they are, they can call a phony quicker than we can. Mm-hmm. A kid knows when um, they have a shortcoming or they didn't really work hard. Right. Um, and you'll see these ADHD kids that have had a really successful intervention, which by the way, there's a lot of, um, 
I think one reason that we are hearing and thinking more about anxiety is because people are more willing to get help. Yeah. And so in David's line of work, I don't um, I can't speak to to you because I don't know your clientele, but my clientele um, will often say my child has ADHD and this triggers some anxiety. So we're working on a medication that's an intervent that's going to not peak the anxiety. So I understand that they can be comorbid, these symptoms. And that's right. They co-occur. Mm-hmm. Anxiety co-occurs with depression. Right. Because you get so frustrated with your life dealing with the anxiety symptoms and then you get disappointed. Right, which could eventually lead to addiction and absolutely, oh, yeah, all kinds absolutely, of yeah. And I think if I can add one thing for parent to parent, um, and I've seen this in our own home, um, to just hang on to the fact that most things are just discomforts, and and your teachers in your school, and your church, and your synagogue, and your community, and your friends can sort of rally around you to to become the kind of parent that. <laughs> that can do this. Yeah. But if there's a true failure to thrive, and what I mean by that is what you and I were talking about this earlier, yeah. we, that's a that's a terminology we use with babies when right. they when they can't they can't eat or or um, process their nutrition. Um, it's the same thing when a child begins to really slip in school, can't do the work, withdraws from friendships, um, can't leave the house, can't leave you. And oh, they're by the way, they're fifteen. You yeah, know, those are huge red flags. They're huge red flags. And um, but let's not confuse failure to thrive to being a C student, yeah. (laughs) You know because that is not the same, right? Um, You know, C students rule the world. Just remember that, parents. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I have a freshman in high school, and it's actually been easier for me to relate to her now because I feel like high school's fresher in my mind than say like third grade. And I I really am trying to remember I didn't get straight A's. Oh no. And I mean I got some bad grades on tests and so it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And I think, you know, parents are doing their best to keep up with trying to get their kids to succeed or helping their kids to succeed. But we also have all these tools, like my school has an online tool where you can see their grades like in real time. Well, it's hard not as a parent not to be anxious mm-hmm. when you're seeing it all in real time. So I think they should take that down. <laughs> I do too. Well, I don't even look at it, but yeah. my husband looks at it all the time and he wigs out uh-huh. about it. I'm like, stop looking. Uh-huh. Stop there. Well, it's like to... watching the weather channel. Yes, you're just bracing for it. <laughs> I just got, I had to finally turn it off. Yeah, it's so true. The multiple exposures do create uh, so everybody's a bad anxious. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. only thing that a college sees on the transcript is the end of the year grade. So give them the year to get mm-hmm. that grade, you know. Yeah. I mean, they... So talking about all this, what are some, David, what are some good resources for parents to t- turn to initially maybe that might have some more questions about it? What are some good resources? I would uh, look on the American Psychological Association website, and I know they uh, – you know, have publications that are available there with a click, mm-hmm. maybe recognizing whether anxiety is enough to be a disorder, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And a pediatrician would certainly help you with that, too. Um, self-help books, I think David Burns has written some good ones. He, he wrote one called The Feeling Good Handbook. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty readable. Uh, I've met him. He was here maybe 20 years ago, I remember going to see him. He was entertaining. 
the Rankin Institute, um, which I know you love them. They're great. Yep. Um, they they address a lot of, of course, academic issues because they're affiliated with the Fletcher School. Um, and they have great workshops and seminars on different things. And your school counselor, hopefully, would mm-hmm. have good resources. Um and mental health community. I mean, I think the pediatrician is a good first starting step, point. Yeah. But I think I would encourage families to go beyond the pediatrician. Yeah. I mean, being married to a psychologist, I see the yeah. value of um, it's been helpful to sort of go to a specialist sometimes. No, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thank you so, both. Thanks, thanks for, for your having time. Us. We appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com.